Are you happy? Are you deep down satisfied with the person you are, how you're living your life, and the future as it appears today? Do you have a passion? Is there any one thing in your life that is so important that it makes prioritizing everything else simple? If the answer to any of those questions is no, do you have any idea why? Welcome to the Vera Moore Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Dawn Keegan, co-founder of the dating app Veramore and the nonprofit app Hero Harbor. Happiness, mine and that of others, is something that's always been very important to me. I've devoted my life to understanding how we take the things life throws at us and combine that with our own special gifts to come away with an experience that, while not always perfect, is one we are proud of and allows us the fewest regrets and least amount of heartache. Whether through my personal musings or conversations with guests, the aim here is not to find a one-size-fits-all to-do list of change, but instead a mindset that lessens our fear, reduces judgment of ourselves and others, and frees each individual to build the life that truly represents happiness for them. Thank you for joining us on the Barrymore Speaks podcast. I've always worked to provide the most honest, helpful content I could in forms that reach the largest possible audience. And my extreme dislike of greed-driven organizations means I do so without ads or sponsors. But for us to continue improving with better guests and more consistent production quality, we need your help. If you have found any value in what we do and the content provided, please show us a little love by making a contribution directly to the podcast or as a tax-deductible donation on the HeroHarbor.org website. Thank you again for listening, and please enjoy the show. Honestly Speaking, Chapter 3. What is the benefit of living according to your true heart? Simply put, to be self-aware is to know yourself as you really are. Initially, self-awareness can come across as a somewhat ambiguous concept. There is no finish line where someone is going to slap a medal on you and deem you self-aware. Awareness of yourself is not just knowing that you are a morning person instead of a night owl. It's deeper than that. Getting to know yourself inside and out is a continuous journey of peeling back the layers of the onion and becoming more and more comfortable with what is in the middle, the true essence of you. Travis Bradbury and Jean Greaves. While the chapter on steps to change required the most intentional and concentrated thought on my part, it is the benefits of change that most captures my thinking on a daily basis. It is in this chapter where you'll find my favorite stories and the place where I most hope to capture the essence and evidence of what is possible for us as individuals and as the human race. The entire premise of this book is that until you align your beliefs, values, words, and actions, there is no way to truly be at ease and therefore happy. You will always have inside you a nagging realization something isn't right. Making a move to choose internal happiness over external rewards is not easy. If you've spent decades hearing from others or yourself that you aren't worthy or valuable in some way, the idea of actually examining the essence of who you are might be terrifying. Opening up to that honesty allows new pains and challenges, but ultimately there is a reward. At times like that, it is very important to have what Dan Kennedy, co-author of this new psycho-cybernetics, refers to as an unshakable self-image. 
Of course, you must develop it ahead of time. Searching for that self-image in your darkest moments is not going to prove useful. Kennedy says, the truth is that you can modify and manage your self-image to suit your purposes and gain incredible confidence and power. Your self-image is your conception of the sort of person you are and was built from your beliefs about yourself. It has been unconsciously formed from your past experiences, your successes and failures, your humiliations, your triumphs, and the way you were raised from childhood. Once you believe something about yourself, about your abilities, no matter if true or false, it becomes your self-image that cannot be outperformed or escaped. I think there are some important distinctions we need to make before going any further. There is a book by the late Jim Rohn called Cultivating an Unshakable Character. As I see it, the unshakable self-image and unshakable character are both critical. However, one is internal and one is external. Likewise, you cannot have the latter without first having the former. And neither can be had without a solid understanding of and living by your core values. There is also a third concept we are more familiar with known as public image. There are too many people who receive undue respect by building and maintaining a public image built completely on false statements and contrived outward appearances. We frequently see it in political figures, heads of companies, and celebrities. We believe that because they've achieved some degree of success or fame that equates to good character. Then we are hurt or confused by revelations of their true nature and character. Roan refers to these distinctions as the difference between character and charisma. He points out the dictionary definition of charisma as derived from a Greek word meaning an ability to elicit favor in other people. He says, charisma is almost like a magic wand that confers power over others. On the other hand, character comes from another Greek word meaning chisel or the mark left by a chisel. And of course, a chisel is a sharp steel tool used for making a sculpture out of a hard or difficult material like granite or marble. People of character are usually well loved by everyone around them, but they make it clear that their first love is for the truth, even if it hurts. Character is a result of hundreds and hundreds of choices you may make that gradually turn who you are at any given moment into who you want to be. He says, without that process, you may have a personality rather than a character. There are a few values in my life that are non-negotiable and the driving force behind all my decisions. They are integrity, compassion, empathy, authenticity, honesty, and transparency. I realize some would see several of those as redundant, but for me, they each have different and important distinctions. Some of my most difficult decisions and conversations have happened when I found I had to give up something or someone familiar or important because they didn't ultimately fall in line with those values. It's not always the easiest way to live. However, I find the discomfort I feel if I don't is far worse. Even as I undertook the additional research I needed to back my theories on this book, I found myself having to look constantly at and reevaluate my daily actions. Shining that bright of light into every corner of your life is a painful process that has to be repeated daily, but not doing so can have powerfully more negative consequences. My next story exemplifies both sides of that equation. Trust your instincts and make judgments on what your heart tells you. The heart will not betray you. David Gemmel. I knew Laura was a shining star and someone special the first time we met.
She has a passion and a beautiful, infectious smile that immediately drew me in. Therefore, it came as no surprise to learn at age 21 she was the youngest hospital administrator in the country. She was good at her job and paid accordingly. However, there was always something that just didn't feel comfortable or right about what she was doing. She got out of health care more than once for pursuits she felt would be closer to her heart's desire, but the six-figure income always lured her back. She'd made her deal with the devil, but at the age of 28, Laura's debt came due, and the price she pays still affects her decades later, long after she permanently made her escape. Here is the story in her words. Several years ago, I was in a position of executive leadership as a risk management administrator for a nonprofit healthcare system. An unnecessary death occurred when a surgeon made a horrible mistake during a surgical procedure and the patient bled to death. It was my responsibility to make sure the family didn't sue the hospital. I settled that case for a mere million dollars. I did my job and I did it well. However, the sacrifice I made in that situation, in addition to the grieving family, was me. I could no longer look at myself in the mirror without disgust. I couldn't play enough racquetball to work out the revulsion. I couldn't eat enough chocolate or drink enough vodka to remove the disappointment in myself. I could no longer look my staff in the eye. I didn't deserve their respect or their loyalty. Relationships at the hospital became strained. My marriage took a beating. It took me sitting in a formal leadership forum to realize that doing my job well had cost me personally more than I could have ever imagined. I had compromised everything I valued, my self-respect and the respect of my staff, to do my job well. Nowadays, Laura is happily remarried and CEO of her own business. She is still working through some of the challenges brought about by the ordeal that caused her epiphany. However, she is doing something she loves and believes in rather than chasing money for money's sake. Furthermore, she knows the penalty for letting herself get overwhelmed and overtaxed. When she becomes aware of the world pressing in past her limits, she and her husband make a concerted effort to completely unplug from the world, not allowing society and less crucial factors dictate how and when they will conduct their lives. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. Franklin D. Roosevelt In my mind, one of the greatest secondary tragedies coming from 9-11 is the collateral damage caused by our newfound distrust for all people labeled foreign or different. A few short decades ago, most of us would have thought very little about encountering a 25-year-old Iraqi kid. When I met the subject of my next story, it crossed my mind, even if only for a second, to wonder who he was and why he was here. However, the important thing is I forced those thoughts aside and chose to approach him like any other random stranger and learn his story. I will be forever grateful I did. There are a substantial number of things most of us would do if the safety of our family depended on it. However, the tale that follows is of a young man who, while still not of legal age himself, made the incredibly difficult decision to leave his home and everything he'd ever known so that his mother and others in his family remain unharmed. Furthermore, he not only moved to another country, he moved to a country that has often shown distrust and sometimes outright hate for him simply because of his religion and his country of birth. For that reason, he exemplifies for me more than any other the risk, struggles, and reward inherent in what is arguably that most difficult of life decisions. 
His name is Mustafa, and he is an Iraqi in America at a time when just mention of the word Muslim stirs up terrible images and feelings of hate in even some of the most forgiving among us. When asked about growing up in Iraq, Mustafa says there are two distinct answers, before the war began and then after. Before the war, he says life was routine, much like life in most other parts of the developed world. He and his family lived on a farm with cows and chickens. Things like running water and electricity were pretty much taken for granted. However, once the war started, all that would change. Suddenly he found himself doing his homework by candlelight, and water only came directly from natural sources like rivers or streams. Crowds were something to be avoided at all costs, and even friends and family were no longer beyond suspicion. Mustafa had barely begun middle school in September 2001 when the towers fell in New York City. He says that while in the past it was only disease or age responsible for the loss of friends or family, soon war is what was taken for granted, and with each passing year, violent and cruel death became the new reality. There was almost no one he knew who had not lost one or more family members to terrorism or the war against it. But by age 17, his family had so far been lucky. He says even though you knew it was happening, it was always to someone else. For more than five years, he and his family had learned to live with the everyday experience of looking over their shoulders, trusting no one, and suspecting everyone. But in June of 2007, it got far more personal. Mustafa had just gotten paid, and after stopping by home to give his mother a portion to help with expenses, he was going shopping at a nearby mall. His 16-year-old brother wanted to tag along. There had been a big soccer match that day between Saudi Arabia and Iraq. It was one of the few re ways this region was attempting to maintain some sense of normalcy in an otherwise chaotic life. Iraq won the match, and so hundreds of local Iraqi residents had gathered to celebrate near the shopping area where Mustafa and his brother were headed. But since Mustafa and his family didn't follow the sporting schedules, they were unaware. When it became apparent that the crowds were too large and shopping was out of the question, they chose to stand a bit, joined by a friend of Mustafa's, and watch the revelry. Mustafa's brother saw one of his friends in the crowd and took off to visit, taking with him the stern warning to stay in sight. A few minutes later, Mustafa remembers the loudest explosion he'd ever heard as the window behind him shattered, covering him in glass and forcing his friend to the ground. Mustafa recalls his ears ringing and having an overall sense of confusion. He says that within moments of the explosion, the bright, beautiful day had become as dark as night. A handful of cars parked near the crowd had been blown up, causing several secondary explosions. As he began to get his bearings, he became aware of his friend urging him to get down and potentially out of harm's way, but by this point all Mustafa could think of was finding his brother. As soon as he was able, Mustafa took off in search of his sibling, but there was just no navigating the chaos. Eventually, he returned home to tell his mother. Mustafa, his family, and the family of his friend all set out in search of his brother. Because of the chaos and the vast number of injured, dead, and dying, Mustafa and his family were always pointed toward the dead first, most of which were lined up outside the hospital walls. It wasn't until the last hospital that they finally located his brother. Burned to death in the explosion, he was barely recognizable. Mustafa recalls his mother collapsing from grief and him ex himself experiencing a pain his 17-year-old mind could never have imagined. 
He says even returning home where he and his brother had shared a room was nearly unbearable. For many of us, especially at such a young age, this would have been the final straw. The temptation to give up would have been too strong. But when Mustafa's mother urged him to take a year off from his education, he refused. Instead, he finished school and went to work for a local shop. But he admits his mother's naturally protective nature had blown out of proportion to become more than he could handle since the death of his brother. She began setting strict curfews and calling and texting him every five minutes. He and his brother decided that for her peace of mind and theirs, they needed to move out of the area to give themselves the space they needed for their healing. However, to do that would re require more money than they had, so Mustafa felt very fortunate when he landed a job with a private multinational security firm that guarded places like Baghdad International Airport. And when the teenager began getting threatening calls from people who accused him of betraying his country for working by working for a company they mistakenly believed was supporting Americans and thereby killing Iraqis, he boldly told them it was the best money he could make to care of his own. Unfortunately, it was his family that next became the targets of the hate when they received more than one envelope containing a letter and a bullet. Initially, Mustafa found a compromise when he enrolled in college, and his boss let him continue working double shifts and more in between classes and helped him to disguise his comings and goings from the security compound. But when Mustafa came to the realization that graduating from college was not going to provide him any more security than he had already, he decided it really was time to move on. However, Iraqis were quickly becoming unwanted even by other Arab countries simply because no one was willing to accept the risk. The brothers were initially offered asylum by Egypt, but it was revoked before they even left. Jordan accepted them, but they were not allowed work visas. This made them perfect targets for business owners willing to take advantage of them by paying them half a normal employee. In one instance, Mustafa worked an entire month to be paid at the end, which was a common practice only to have the shop owner refuse to pay him, and with no visa, there was nothing the teen could do. Luckily, though, because of the time he'd spent working for the security firm, Mustafa's processing time once he'd been accepted by the U.S. was much faster than that experienced by most others in similar positions. He was finally able to begin his new life in about nine months as opposed to five or ten years. Today, Mustafa and his older brother live in Texas. Although he has mostly adjusted to his circumstances, he admits to the constant challenge of balancing the religion of his birth that in many ways abandoned him with the often equally caustic experience of Christians choosing to see him as evil simply because of his heritage. Extraordinary people survive under the most terrible circumstances, and they become more extraordinary because of it. Robertson Davies I often meet people who inspire me for any number of reasons. I've seen a 60-plus-year-old man with a boot brace on his leg who chose to take the stairs at the gym when the 18-year-old aspiring basketball player took the elevator. Or there was a veteran with more than one missing limb who walked around the VA telling jokes and uplifting those with fewer physical challenges. And recently, I met a 90-year-old who is at the gym every single day being put through the paces by her trainer, surrounded by patrons texting on their phones who would be the first to talk about their workout when they never broke a sweat. But occasionally you are incredibly lucky enough to make the acquaintance of someone so amazing as to defy explanation. My friend Boris is that person for me. 
Boris's favorite superhero for years was Superman. It seemed like every time I saw him, he had a different t-shirt displaying the logo of the Man of Steel. As I got to know him, I realized how apropos that logo was. However, unlike my other stories of tragedy leading to change, Boris's stories are simply a look at how unwavering positive attitude and commitment to persevere despite any challenge has forged both the mental and physical disposition equal to his hero. I first learned about Boris through Facebook when a mutual friend told of an accident that had Boris in a coma given only about a 3% chance for survival. It would be several months later before we would actually meet, but I followed his progress and always inquired after him. When I saw him in the gym for the first time, maybe six months after he was discharged from the hospital, I introduced myself and asked him if he would mind telling me his story. I was in no way prepared for what I was to learn. But before I tell his story, let me just tell you a little about the man I met and why I wasn't prepared. Boris is always smiling. If he has a down moment, only people much closer to him than me ever know about it because the rest of us just see the bright eyes and the ear-to-ear grin. He is intensely passionate about his dog, his daughter, his workouts, and just life in general. He uplifts everyone around him with no conscious effort that I've ever seen. Being drawn into his orbit is one of the greatest gifts I've ever received. As the story goes, the morning of his accident, he had gone to the store for breakfast items. For some reason, of which I don't believe there has ever been found an explanation, he suddenly went unconscious and, while driving uphill, ended up in a high-speed collision with another vehicle that was traveling at 70 miles per hour. None of his airbags deployed, and his driver's seat broke loose, throwing him first to the roof and then to the back seat. As he recounts it, the traumatic brain injury he sustained caused blood to flow from his ears and other parts of his head and left him in a coma for three weeks with very low odds of survival. When he did finally wake, he remained in the hospital for a total of four months and lost 70 pounds. Now, as a small side note and of importance to anyone struggling with their workouts, I'd like to point out that if Boris had not already been heavily into lifting, he would have not had 70 pounds available to lose, and I can't imagine imagine how he would have survived. As I've always told my personal training clients, you're not just working out for today or for the aesthetic improvement, you're working out for the unknown future. It took some time, but with his amazing work ethic and aided by muscle memory, Boris is in most areas as big or bigger than ever. He is back driving finally, and every day he discovers one more thing he can do that was previously denied him. We all celebrate with him at each new achievement. But this is not all of Boris's story. Boris is from Zagreb, Croatia. He was six years old when the Croatian War of Independence began. He has one parent who is Croatian and one who is Serbian. The three of them, along with his one-month-old brother, were forced to flee from Serbian forces, and from that very young age he remembers climbing over dead bodies in their efforts to escape. Furthermore, at one point he was separated from his families for several days while he wandered around lost and sure he'd never see them again. Later, while his father was forced into service fighting on behalf of the Serbs, Boris and the rest of his family stayed in a refugee camps where a woman shot herself in the head directly in front of him within the very confined space of a bathroom. While still recovering from the mental trauma of that experience, the only friend he had killed both himself and his mother. 
It was five more years before Boris and his family would be given political asylum to move to the U.S., and there is no way of calculating how far that experience went in building his current character. But hopefully you can see why this young man made such an impact on me. We have all had and continue to have adversity in our lives. You don't have to survive a war to feel like you are fighting one every day. But it's how we choose to handle that experience and the person who comes out on the other side that matters. Our struggles are the fire that forge our steel backbones. The harder it is, the more character-building opportunity it provides. And yes, I do know that in the middle of it, we just want to say, screw character. But there will come a day when through a near-death experience or any other multitude of tragedies, you will be thankful to have the strength provided by that backbone. That's what real love amounts to, letting a person be what he is. Most people love you for who you pretend to be. To keep their love, you keep pretending, performing. You get to love your pretense. It's true, we're locked in an image, an act, and the sad thing is, people get so used to their image, they grow attached to their masks. They love their chains. They forget all about who they are. And if you try to remind them, they hate you for it. They feel like you're trying to steal their most precious possession. Jim Morrison. I am decidedly not a relationship counselor. I have no training in that area, and frankly, the way many people handle theirs is a mystery to me. But by much of societal standards, my two marriages were resounding failures. However, my first husband and I held hands walking into divorce court, and to this day, my second remains an important part of my business team. That isn't to say there wasn't hurt or a need for healing, but everyone involved walked away a better person because of our experiences and with none of the hate, blame, and destruction that keeps too many of us lining the pockets of divorce attorneys across the country. I bring this up because it's our relationships that stand to benefit the most from us figuring out who we are, what we want, and how to communicate that effectively to the ones we care about. Hands down, any fear gets in our way if it isn't faced and used to our advantage. But the fear I believe causes the most discontent in all our lives is the fear of speaking the truth about how we feel. The primary reason for that is that no other fear left unfaced has such potentially long-lasting and devastating results. I hear told all the time of regrets over fears not faced and chances not taken, but relationships irretrievably lost or broken can have unrecoverable repercussions. The bitterest tears shed over graves are for words left unsaid and deeds left undone. Harriet Beecher Stowe In the last chapter of this book, I'll attempt to provide structure to the actual process of change. While the first step is awareness, the most difficult step will probably be the communication aspect. This is largely because we need to replace our fear of judgment or reprisal with the understanding that regardless of the other person's reaction, the very act of voicing our thoughts is the only thing able to facilitate our healing and growth. Be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. Oscar Wilde. With me, what you see is what you get. I make no efforts and frankly am incapable to hide anything about myself. For better or worse, I'm an open book with a distinct lack of boundaries. However, some of the best first dates I've ever had were with people very much like me. Conversation topics rang, range all over the map, and very few of them are considered acceptable first date material.
But for me, that's the most refreshing of experiences and some of the best conversations I've ever had. There is a sign I've seen for sale over the years that reads, a stranger is only a friend I haven't met yet. To the chagrin of many, I take that idea to extremes. If I strike up a conversation with you, as far as I'm concerned, we've known each other forever and I will say or ask nearly anything. While some find it incredibly refreshing, far more find it a bit shocking. For a long time, I saw this tendency of mine as a personal failing, but eventually I had to both accept it as not going away and embrace it as one of many things that make me who I am and therefore special. This accepting of myself in all areas has been a very lengthy and arduous process. However, it has also been one of the most rewarding challenges as it's released me from being caught up in the opinions of others and thereby tortured by any subsequent actions on their part. It isn't foolproof or immediate every time. There are still occasions where I'm stung or bruised temporarily, but the healing process is shorter each time and I always come back solid in my self-image. The curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I can change. Carl Rogers. One thing I come across almost daily is people who struggle mightily with self-image. As I've aged, the attention I get has far less to do with my physical appearance than it does the confidence I've developed. One of the greatest compliments I've ever received is that the impression I gave was of confidence and caring. I couldn't possibly ask for more. The irony is that my growing confidence gets me more accolades and compliments and yet I need them less. When we go through life not having a clear idea of who we are, it becomes easy to focus on superficial aspects of life, such as appearance or money. However, once we become grounded and in touch with what is truly important to us on a more emotional level, we suddenly find it easier to get in touch with our bodies and overcome physical struggles such as weight loss or other body image concerns we previously found insurmountable. Chapter 3, Exercises and Resources For a good look at what living according to your values looks like in action, even if in a fictional medium like Hollywood, there are two good TV shows I can suggest. The first is Blue Bloods, starring Tom Selleck as Police Commissioner Frank Reagan, and The Good Wife, starring Juliana Margulies as Attorney Alicia Florick. Both both of these characters are routinely faced with difficult decisions where they have to weigh what is easy or expected against what they value and believe is right. Consider the aspects of your life you like least. What decisions brought you to that place? Are there any repeating patterns you see? Can you recognize where those patterns might be at odds with what you really desire? Think about the most traumatic or distressing events in your life. Can you identify your part in their occurrence or outcome? Have you made any significant changes to avoid similar experiences in the future? <laughs>